Welcome back to the Be A Better Ally podcast. My name is Trisha Friedman. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. On today, we have a former guest coming back to the show, Kanako Sua, who um, is going to share with us a little bit about some of the work that she has put out into the world of education over the past year. Whenever you hear us refer to a piece of that work, don't worry, the link to it is going to be over there for you in the show notes. Okay. Um, hi, uh, my name is Kanako, Kanako Sua. Um, I am a third culture kid who returned to the international schools um, as an adult. I'm currently living in Vietnam, working as an EAL teacher, um, and I'll be moving to Chiang Mai, Thailand um, after this school year. And yeah. Um, my Twitter is at Kanakosua, K-A-N-A-K-O-S-U-W-A. Uh, my blog, my web portfolio is also my full name.com. And I have an Instagram account where I review books, but we'll talk about that um, later. Thank you again for being with us. The blog is actually where I would love to start. And I want to reference specifically a post that you put out um, online, which is a great resource. It's called Same Name, New Pronunciation or Old Pronunciation. And I'm really curious to hear a little bit more about your process, the story behind putting that post together. And I'm hoping you can also talk to listeners today a little bit about the reception. Um, it did. It had a, a really great, strong response. Again, it's a post I've come back to a few more times. So I'd love to hear more from you on that. Yeah. So that was something that I've been thinking about writing and sharing for a while. Um, I, in when I speak to uh, my friends who speak English, um, I've always gone by Kanako. That's that's how my name, how I pronounced my name, and um, I had a whole explanation for why. That's that's not how it's pronounced in Japanese, which is my heritage, which is where I'm from. In Japanese, it's Kanako, and when when I shared it, um, the blog post, my university friends reminded me that they actually asked me about this a couple of years ago and how I wanted my name to be pronounced. And I said, well, Kanako was the name I associated with my sort of international self, my, my English self, um, and with my English speaking friends and how I was used to being called Kanako. And that was how I sort of identified myself or differentiated myself from the Japanese identity that I had. Um, and of course, in, in the years since I've, I've grown, I've learned. Um, and the last few years with um, conversations surrounding DEIJ really taking off, it, it gave me time to, to reflect on sort of wh where that came from, where that belief that you know, changing the way you pronounce your name changes your identity. And the tipping point for me really was um, over a weekend in November, I believe, I'd spent um, some time reading uh, Dr. Danao Tanu's book, um, Growing Up in Transit. And while reading, I, I kind of made note of um, the similarities 
um, I had with the people she interviewed. And I, I wrote about this in the blog. Um, but there was a part where a student shared that she changed the pronunciation of her name because that's how her international school like kindergarten teacher said it um and it I was like oh did did I do that and then the same weekend I was at the ALOC conference um online virtually where Darnell Fine also talked about the importance of student names um and sort of respecting the identity that comes with names and so that evening I, I I wrote the post um and yeah I shared it I shared the next day and I didn't expect the post to reach that many people um you know I I don't have a big following on Twitter I I didn't expect to hear from people I'd never even met or talked to before um and from from my close friends I got voice notes of them practicing how to say my name which it made me laugh but it also made me feel so loved and valued um and of course um the Twitter community is always so supportive so yeah so that's kind of how that came to be folks if you've not come across that post yet the link is in the show notes it's a wonderful read. It's a great resource to share with others. It reminds me also, um, you know, I'm seeing resources, tools like Name Shouts come out and um, remind us that it's important to learn how to pronounce the names of others. Um, and it's also great practice to share with others how we pronounce our names. So I, I love seeing this is becoming, I think, increasingly more popular using email signatures again as a space to include that link here's how you can pronounce my name. Um, Again, that's just a great resource. I want to move on to talk about what you're doing with both Twitter and Instagram in terms of amplifying great books that you're reading, documenting your reading journey, and of course, also reviewing books. So I'm hoping you can, yet again, um, just uncover that process and maybe also point us to one or two of your favorite reads that you've come across so far. Yeah, so I've always loved reading, but one of the problems I have is I've never been good at remembering what I read or how I felt about individual books after I finished reading it which made it really difficult for me to uh, like give recommendations to friends and students and and they ask they know I read a lot so they'll be like you know what books have you read recently I'm like I don't know did I read any books (laughs) and so at the end of 2019 I decided that I was gonna start an account where I post the books I've read and like a super brief review um just basically just to remind myself how I felt about the book and what it was about and I thought about doing it on Twitter but then I I kind of really liked um the the lack of character limit on Instagram um tweets are sort of hard for me because I always have to think about how many more letters I can put in and I also 
found it easier to search for books um, on Instagram because I I'm I'm not really good at looking for uh, hashtags on Twitter. Um, and then I also enjoyed seeing like what people do with their physical books and what pictures they take, and I felt like that um, visual aspect was more a little more intentional on Instagram. And so, yeah, and then, you know, I didn't, I didn't think I was going to keep this up for that long. Um, but then COVID happened and people were trying to read more books and were looking for recommendations. And so um, instead of, you know, I had, I had a couple of friends reach out to me around the same time to be like, what books can I read during lockdown? And I thought, well, rather than me, you know, looking for book titles, typing it out, sending it, I'm just going to point them to my, to my Instagram account. And, um, it's been really fun to sort of keep that up. Um, I've, I've made some great connections. There's a couple of accounts that read very similar books, um, as me. And so, yeah, their recommendations also have kind of grown my reading lists too. Um, as far as favorites, um, one I can think of is the book Here's to Us by Becky Albertalli and Adam Silvera, which is a sequel to What If It's Us. Um, Here's to Us came out at the end of last year, I think. And that I really enjoyed reading that. I, I think I stayed up like all night to finish it. Um, and this year, oh, I read um, this book called The Trouble with Hating You by Sajni Patel. Um, that book um, was about a Indian American um, girl who, you know, has sort of relationship problems and um yeah even though it wasn't like my own culture there was just a lot that resonated with me so yeah that was that was a fun one to read I have to say following uh, your your book reviews and your documentation of great books is inspiration for me it's also a great reminder I know I've mentioned this several times on the podcast Children's Lit, YA books, these are also texts that belong on our professional development library shelves. And if you are wondering where might I get started, you know, the, the accounts that have been mentioned, they're over there in the show notes, check them out. Um, and again, thank you for those recommendations. I wanna move on and talk about yet another resource that you've created. I know a lot of labor has gone into this. And I know also this is the time of year where a lot of IB schools begin to talk about their PYP exhibition. So you've created actually a wakelet that is um, looking at really curating resources for LGBTQ plus advocacy. Can I ask you again to just walk us through the origin story of that resource um, again, it's a resource that's specific to the PYPX, the PYP exhibition, but it's also a resource that's going to be valuable for anybody in education for a variety of reasons. So walk us through what that resource is. Um, and uh, again, a lot of work went into it. So how did it come to be? Um, so last year I was teaching grade four and a grade five teacher asked 
if I would be willing to kind of mentor a group of students who had picked LGBTQ as their topic for exhibition. And of course I said, yes, these are the kids that I had the year before. Um, and so I was so excited to work with them. And upon sort of meeting with them initially, I realized they didn't really know much about any of it. Um, and I think, you know, they were sort of showing interest in the topic, but didn't really know where to begin. And they also kind of shared that, you know, finding resources that they could understand um, was really difficult. And so we agreed that my role as a mentor um, would be to sort of help them find resources. And I know that's not really common for exhibition mentors, um, but, you know, the, the grade five team, um, their homeroom teachers and I kind of agreed that we wanted to make sure they were reading, that, that they were looking at sources, they were reading stories um, that represented the community in, in I wouldn't say like in, in, in the correct way, whether that was a positive or a negative representation. And so um, I kind of took on that responsibility. And so I started with finding um, an easy guide to LGBTQ, starting with terminologies and sort of a brief history. Um, you know, the kids didn't even know what like T and Q stood for when we first met. And so um, I found kind of a list of terms um, that I figured they'd also come across later in their research anyway. Um, and from there, I try to find things related to their lines of inquiry um, that was either kind of written for kids or had visuals attached to them. Um, um, yeah, so whatever I could find, that would make it easy for them to understand. And a big part of their inquiry was understanding homophobia and discrimination and how that affects the mental health of queer individuals. So in that Wakelet collection, um, there's a lot of resources around that. Um, I think there's a couple about like the, the parent perspective, like what, how do parents feel when their kids come out? Um, so I think that'll help them kind of understand, you know, obviously if you're a queer student, a queer individual, and you're wanting to come out, you're the most important part of this, the, the coming out journey. But there are also different perspectives that we can kind of consider and learn from. Um, and then there's a couple of resources around like what schools and organizations and teachers are doing to support queer kids in schools and what allies can do to support their friends because they wanted to know like what do I do if my friend is a part of the LGBTQ community and so um, that's kind of how that came about and I'm we are starting our exhibition um, journey this year, I think next week when we return from break. 
And I've already had a couple conversations with students about that. So um, yeah, I think I'm going to be adding on to the collection in the next couple of weeks. We're going to make sure the link to that wakelet is in the show notes. I know we've put a spotlight on it in the context of PYPX, but it really is valuable to absolutely anybody in the world of education. Thank you for putting it together. It's a great, great resource. Um, uh, I really do appreciate that. And on that note, I also appreciate earlier in the year, you crafted a monologue to share on the Coming Out Monologues podcast. Um, it's such a powerful episode. It's really stuck with me. Um, I listened to it a few times and I wonder if you'll talk to us about, you know, putting together, producing a monologue, performing it, and then sharing it and hearing back from others, um, you know, their responses. Now that there's been some time since you, uh, put that episode out there, what are some thoughts that you have now? Um, can you talk to us about what it was like to put the monologue together um, and, and then again, to, um, to have others listen to it, respond to it. I'd love to hear more um, about sort of your, your personal experience having gone through that. Yeah, that, that was one of the most sort of honest thing that I've ever shared online. And um, it was really scary at first, um, but we... We rarely ever have the chance to sort of share our stories without being interrupted, being asked questions, because, I mean, that's not how conversations are, right? And so having the time to write all my thoughts and then reread it, edit, sort of really refine the, the jumble of thoughts I had in my head into something comprehensible um, it was an, it was an exciting process. And I, I'd recommend that to anyone who has stories to share. Um, and I, there's something I think really personal about a monologue, um, that just doesn't come across in, you know, blog posts or, you know, uh, in, in written words um I've listened to the other episodes and I think sort of reading it as a as a text post just doesn't carry the same um emotions that saying it out loud does um and I think the personal voice aspect really adds to the story and even like I got a little choked up reading my monologue out loud too um but I hope that like that really conveyed how I felt about what I shared um I it's rare also for me to have a space where I can share sort of the um the cultural side of being queer um my monologue I think focused a lot on sort of family relationships and the cultural values my my family holds um and sort of you know, right now I, I exist in a primarily white space. And so whenever I start to explain, um, you know, why my family isn't accepting um, the, the, the focus or the response that I get from, from people is, oh, you know, maybe you should just try talking to them or, um, 
I hope you can come out to your family soon. Um, and I've never really had the, the chance or the energy even to kind of explain that it's a little bit more complicated than that. Um, and so having this space was really nice. And, and I've, I've heard from a few people um, that have sort of expressed like they didn't, you know, even my friends that um, they didn't realize um, they didn't realize, you know, that was kind of how my family felt and, and the little experiences here and there that I've had, um, talking to them. Um, so yeah, that it was really personal. It, um, was really honest and I felt really vulnerable, but again, you know, both, um, the Twitter community and my in-person friends and, it I it made me realize that while I may not have my family behind me on this I I do have a really supportive community of friends and educators um who yeah who who value what I have to say so yeah and and thank you for providing that platform for us that episode is linked in the show notes it is so powerful um, and what you had to say there about how it's a rare experience that we ask one another to share a story and we just sit with it, with the nuance, with the complication. Um, and the point is the listening. The point is not the response. That's what I really like about the Coming Out Monologues podcast. Um, uh, you know, again, I, I do love seeing mon- monologues performed live, but there's something about it being delivered in the podcast format where the whole point is just to to listen. So um, uh, again, I really did appreciate your monologue, um, listeners. I can't I can't recommend it highly enough. You need to to listen to it. It's really powerful, um, and perhaps it might even encourage your school. What can we be doing to bring story sharing um, into our toolkit of professional development? It's it's important. It matters. Um, it's it's moving. So lastly, I would like to uh, actually do something a little strange and, and quote a tweet that you shared back to you. I'd love for you to expand on it. You tweeted, quote, with hashtag PYPX starting, LGBTQ plus has been a topic that a few students have showed interest in. This has led to me coming out to more and more kids and the way they see slash behave around me has not changed. I wish more adults were like them, end quote. On that note, would you say a little bit more about what it is that we adult learners can learn or how might we model those mindsets um, that you are seeing in your younger students? Yeah, so I'm, I'm out to um, most of my, my teammates. And so when, when their kids have questions about LGBTQ, they kind of say, you know, oh, I think Miss Conical might be a person you can, you can go have a chat with. Um, and so I've had a couple of chats over the last week um, about this with, with kids. And um, we have Emily Meadows um, poster in our office that says, um, you belong here. Um, we have the Vietnamese version as well. And, and the kid, I was standing next to it um, one day, just, you know, not intentionally, but I was there and some of the kids came up and were like, is this LGBTQ or something? And I was like, yeah, it is. 
And they were like, are you LGBTQ? And I was like, um, yeah. And oh, their phrasing really gets me. They were like, which LGBTQ are you? Um, and that was kind of the first time a kid had like straight up asked me if I was queer. Um, and I, I think that's, that's one of the things that maybe adults can learn is like how open-minded accepting and then just how curious they are. They don't hesitate to ask questions. Um, they, they've been like, do you support LGBTQ rights? And obviously I'll say yes. And they'll say, is it because you're a part of it? And I'm like, are you, do I give off that vibe? Are you just assuming like, and then I'll say, yeah, 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 sure. And they'll say, why didn't you tell us? Like they're, they're offended that I didn't share with them that I'm queer. Um, and you know, that's, that's kind of how normal it is, um, for them, I guess now. Um, so yeah. And they also ask questions that, um, that I'd never expect to hear from adults. Like, when did you know? Or, you know, when I say I'm bi or queer, they'll say, how many boys and how many girls have you dated? Um, and actually most surprisingly, um, they'll say, like, they'll ask me, like, how did your Asian parents react to it? And I wonder, um, if that's kind of rooted in the fact that there aren't, um, a lot of Asian queer teachers at our school and and I work with predominantly Asian students Vietnamese students and so um yeah and I guess coming from adults I might find these questions a little intrusive a little too straightforward um a little too personal but you know what I've noticed is um the kids kind of just seem genuinely curious, like they're still learning about it rather than, I, I just feel like when adults ask these personal questions, they, they're looking for, I don't know, some, a, a way to kind of, you know, use it against you or, um, I wouldn't, I don't want to say like ammunition, but like, um, yeah, whereas, um, you know, the kids and, and adults always have an opinion um, based on my response and the kids don't. Um, they were just curious about my experience. There's no judgment. Um, you know, whatever answer I give, it's always sort of, oh, okay, that's cool. Or, oh, I didn't know that. Um, and, and no sort of judgment around that. And I think that's another thing we can we can learn from from kids too like to be more open-minded to different experiences to be curious in 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 a non-judgmental way um sort of to ask questions and accept responses about personal experiences without trying to i don't know rationalize it against what they know or what they assume, um, question like the validity of personal stories, because 
you know, what I share may not fit what adults know to be the queer experience or whatever, but it's valid to me. And, and that makes that story valid. Um, and so, yeah, and there wasn't like, like the kids didn't avoid me or they weren't awkward or they didn't change the way they interacted with me um, or any of that after I shared, they just went right back to what they were doing. And, and it kind of made me wonder why I've been um, sort of nervous, sort of scared and afraid to come out to the kids because I have been for the last couple of years um, and kind of made me think that maybe it's sort of a learned behavior from, from coming out to adults. Um, and then, you know, from this, I kind of learned that they're, they're just so in touch with their feelings and opinions and, and so open about expressing it. And of course their, their emotions are sometimes exaggerated in that teenage way where you think, you know, everything has to be so dramatic, but when it truly comes down to it, they're so good at expressing their feelings, whether that's confusion or happiness or frustration or even just love for friends and teachers appreciation um and I think that makes them more empathetic towards others too um and that's another thing um I think adults can learn you know we talk so much about how the last couple years of the pandemic took away the chance to interact with friends and others. But I think it also gave us the chance to um, have intentional conversations about how we're feeling. And I love that, you know, the kids are able to apply that social and emotional well-being and care and grace for for others and, and not just to like their friends, but 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 to us, to teachers, to adults in the community too. So there's there's a lot we can learn from the kids. Um, and I'm so excited for this generation to grow up where they're more accepting um, of others and differences and just so supportive of each other. I feel the same way. And you know, your your point about the internalized queer phobia that's sort of learned, it reminds me of a, a, a collection of essays I'm reading right now. It's called Girls Can Kiss Now. And the author explains that in her growing up experience, any media like TV, film that had a queer character in it, that it, the ending was always tragic and the message just seemed to be again and again. If you're going to be a member of this community, it is not going to play out very well. And I, you know, I realize the the young learners that you're talking about, the media sphere is changing around that. That's not the narrative again and again, which is a great thing. But, um, you know, your point about having authentic curiosity and wondering and being open to surprise and asking questions from that position of, I truly want to know, this isn't me trying to confirm an existing assumption like i'm i'm ready for you to say something and for me to reckon with like i didn't know that that is such a great lesson 
Um, and I think it's such an important stance that um, as adult learners, we need to practice because I, I think um, there's been some messages that maybe we've received around that as well. Just the, the capacity to say, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. I feel like the thread of this whole conversation has been, thank you for sharing. Um, you know, you, again, you've made so many contributions um, to sustaining a conversation around inclusion. I am so appreciative. And um, again, listeners, please head over to the show notes, check out those links. Uh, good luck to you in your, your journey towards your, your new school um, and, and wishing you wishing you well. Thank you again for coming on and sharing about the incredible, amazing, inspired work that you share with so many of us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me.